Everybody should be doing a four hour ride on Sundays. <laughs> so here, here's what I'm, I'm getting Sundays at off. with. I don't want to put a line on it is because it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. To somebody who's been doing, you know, to somebody who rides an an hour a day, five times a week, that's five hours to Adam's point, doing a four hour ride on one day is like, that's a nine hour training week. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. But it's like that four hour ride would also probably just blow that person out of the water for the next week. And they couldn't even hit, you know, nine hours the next week. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're diving into how to structure your training for a long season of racing, the what, when, why, and how of tempo workouts, and how to determine the optimal training volume for athletes. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the race season just around the corner, now is the time to be dialing in your race day nutrition strategy, and Flow Formulas makes it easier than ever to do so. Between high-carb drink mixes, electrolyte replacements, recovery formulas, and more, Flow has everything you need for fueling your training and racing days. So head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITIONPODCAST for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or hit us up on Instagram. All right, let's get into it. I will say the these episodes that are shorter that are like under an hour have been popping off lately. Boom, there yeah. you go. We're, we're getting we're getting right. twice as many listens. All right, for the listeners listening right now, you can give us feedback, but was the life updates, what are you training for? Was that a snooze fest or did that make the episode better? <laughs> well, I mean, if we were going to do it, we could do it now and I could talk about my PRFTP test. Nope. All right, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> All right, so so first question of the day. This one comes from Brian Z. He's talking about rebuilding or maintaining fitness for long race seasons. He says, great show recently on the maximum versus minimum gains. Uh, oh, yeah, all right. Show. That was a big one, actually. I <laughs> uh, said, I thought Drew's observation of the separation of bike gains being mostly minimal and athlete gains being mostly maximal was awesome. Very telling that wow. we should be focused some on ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Very telling that we should be focused on ourselves before we open our wallets. I have another training question, except for coaching. You can open yes. your wallet for that. Yes. Open it <laughs> I have another open. training question for you guys. Uh, <laughs> being from sunny California, road racing season has already started and goes all the way into October. So this must Jeez. be, you know, February through October. Jeez. With a season this long, some people choose to train for two separate peaks with a with a break in the middle of the season. I typically don't suffer from burnout. So what do you think would be a better approach? Um, or so, so what do you think about instead going into a maintenance cycle after the first build phase and then only touching on endurance, VO2 max, and anaerobic work throughout the season rather than losing fitness and starting a new build phase. Brian. So essentially, I mean, when he, he just, he just threw out every single type of training that he could hit. But, um, so essentially what he's asking is, should he do two peaks and, and like take a mid season break and restart, or should he just kind of maintain his fitness throughout the whole year? Right. Is what I'm, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't do that. Don't maintain your fitness throughout the whole year. Do two peaks. 
hundred percent. Especially if you're racing from February to October, that is so long. Uh, if you try to, I mean, I, I know you say you don't get burnt out, but I just even, I, I think that even from a trying to build fitness standpoint, if you just try to, you know, do a flatline maintenance all year, you're going to hit a plateau fairly quickly and you're probably not going to get much stronger throughout the season. I would like, I would plan a group of races that you plan to do early and plan a group of races that you plan to do late and hopefully have some time in between the two where you can, where you can, you know, reset and try to build back up and see if you can come back even stronger for that second half. Yeah. I was going to say, um, we did an episode on the mid season break. And so maybe don't do like a full off season right in the middle of your, you know, like this big long race season, but do kind of like a mid season break where you only take one week off or maybe even five days off the bike and then you rebuild. And then that way, that way you don't lose as much instead of taking like a two or three week break off the bike, you take five or seven days or something like that. You're not going to lose as much fitness in a five to seven day break. Um, but yeah, I agree with Dylan. I think, I think it would be really hard to hold, uh, like race fitness, which it sounds like that's what he's trying to do by this whole maintain thing. I mean, everybody would do that if it was doable. Like we would all just get to our race fitness and then maintain that for the whole year. Cause like that sounds like a no brainer. But the problem with that is you usually can't do that for longer than, you know, you could probably feather it out for maybe two months or something like that. But even then at the end of two months, you're probably going to be, uh, at that point, you're going to be losing fitness, I'd say, and you need to rebuild. Yeah, and you have to you have to prioritize different times of the season too. Um, you know, so you have to know that, like, coming off your mid season break, uh, you know, I I personally recommend the seven day approach. Um, you know, go on like a vacation or something, or you know, just do whatever you can to put the bikes away. Um, spend time with family, out of remodel, town, or whatever. Remodel you your know. bathroom. Sure. I mean, honestly, like anything to just not be riding your bike. Um, but, but you have to know that like coming off of that, like you're going to be fresh, but you will lose a little bit of fitness and some sharpness. So like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put like an a race two weeks after that, like give yourself some time to, to take that rebuild. Um, but it comes back a lot faster than you think. Like you take that seven days off and I would say within a month, you're like back to where you were and now you can like keep building. Yeah, I only I only rode for two weeks and busted out my PR FTP. I wonder how many times I can mention that in the one <laughs> one episode. We, uh, okay, so we have talked about this three times now. All right. <laughs> so yeah. the, fir- the first Tally part, the up. first two times you guys didn't hear because uh, we weren't recording yet. But <laughs> I didn't bring it up that time. I wasn't gonna bring it up. Dylan brought it up, but now I'm there, so now I'm just gonna keep bringing it up. <laughs> so so I mean, it, I guess it's sort of relevant. So Drew, so. What have you seen from taking some time off the bike? Well, I guess what you're wanting want me to say is actually <laughs> improvement. <laughs> yeah. I took two weeks totally off the bike and then a week of like kind of riding and then two weeks of just endurance. And then I did an FTP test and I hadn't done a single interval, like not even tempo, just endurance. And I do an FTP test and I get my highest FTP ever. So I'm like, what the heck? This is not what I was expecting. Like I'm stoked and freaking out at the same time. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's either going to keep going up or it's going to go down. Like, I don't know. It just seems like, well, unreal and I think me, it's, but. I think it's important to know like what you were doing before you took those two weeks. Like you were, you were peaking for like racing yeah. in Europe and you were doing a ton of high intensity, you know, yeah. high quality racing in Europe. 
So like that's similar to like, you know, you had mm-hmm. your first peak of the season, say in June, and you're like doing everything right to like hit those high numbers. Then you give your body some time off. And now you're seeing like the even more of those rewards. Like sure you had like you were hitting good numbers probably in December and January when you were over in Europe. But like now right. that your body's like had a chance to recover, like now you're seeing that fitness bump. Yeah. And that's what you can get like by by breaking the season in half like this versus trying to just maintain fitness yeah. for the whole season. I would say that's not I wouldn't expect a you know, like a PR after you take time off. But a lot of times yeah, it's it's more beneficial than we give it credit rest. For sure. Like that's always like the number one thing that coaches or coaching books talk about is like athletes always when you're self coaching yourself, the number one thing that you're gonna neglect is rest and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's happened to me multiple times before where I you know, I, I'm, I'm feel like I'm doing pretty well in the early season and then I start to plateau and then maybe I'm even coming down off of the plateau and my race results are starting to suffer. This is usually in the, I don't know, June, July timeframe. And then I take a week off the bike mid season and that first interval workout back, I, you know, my numbers are not good and I'm kind of, you know, a little bit nervous, like, oh man, I don't know if that week off was a good idea, but usually it takes maybe a week or two weeks before I'm hitting numbers that I haven't hit in months. And, um, (laughs) that's happened to me so many times at this point that I, I just come to expect it. I don't get nervous anymore when I take a week off the bike mid season. In fact, I, I see it as a good thing. He wants to do good at every race, but if you give your season a structure and you prioritize certain races, chances are you're going to do better at those. It's going to be a more enjoyable season because you're going to have chances are you're going to have really good results at those prioritized races. And instead of trying to take it easy before each race so that you can have a good result, you'll actually be able to train better because some races will be C priority and you'll just train right through those. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a good point too, is it also in doing that, those lower priority races have a lot less stress and, expectation on them so like you kind of just roll through those as if it's no big deal and it can make those races more fun too yeah all right cool and i'd like to say this but like when you make those a races it also like you put so much weight into those that i don't know there's something exciting about i'm training for this later on like i i'm like on texas roadhouse i'm known for always saying i've got bigger fish to fry i've got bigger fish to fry because they like the, the team captain always wants us to go do these little local races. And I'm like, yeah, I'll show up, but I might ride like three hours before the race or something. And I'm always saying I've got bigger fish to fry. Cause like later on when the big races come, those are the races that I want to do well in, not like some local crit. Like I could, yeah, I want to do well, but I have bigger fish to fry later on. <laughs> I like yeah. that saying. All right. So this next one comes from Kyle. So he wants to know about the what, what, why, and when of tempo. He says, listening to various cycling podcasts, I've heard many one-off references to tempo workouts slash rides, but I haven't heard this zone discussed in detail. So when should you do tempo rides? Should they be part of the base build or specialty phase? How much does it depend on cycling discipline? How do you decide when to do tempo versus endurance or sweet spot? Thanks. Insight. Thanks for the insight, Kyle. Mm. Um, I would say that, you know, generally tempo is part of the base, but it doesn't have to be part of the base. I mean, if what you're training for 
if the race that you're training for involves riding a lot at tempo, then tempo workouts could be part of the build phase. And it, you know, it could be one of your race specific days on the bike. Um, for example, unbound, you know, that's one of those races where you're probably going to spend a pretty high proportion of the day at tempo. Um, so that might be a race specific day on the bike that you do during the build phase. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a base training only workout. So that was the, when, what, what, what were the other parts of that question? Um, sort of like how to structure tempo and, uh, why to even do tempo. Hmm. Um, I mean, so because tempo is the, is the lowest intensity that you would consider intensity, right? So if it's the, the way that I categorize workouts is if it's below, if, if it's below the top of zone two, so it's zone two or zone one. That's not intensity. That's, I don't know, you could call it endurance, you could call it volume, whatever, but that's not intensity. Anything above zone two, I classify as intensity. And the reason for that is because there, you know, there's been research done on how going above zone two affects our autonomic nervous system. And if you go above zone two, it's like an on off switch for your autonomic nervous system stress response. And and so that's why I classify anything above zone two as intensity. You you can ask other coaches and they may have different definitions for what intensity means. But so tempo is the lowest, <laughs> the lowest intensity that is considered intensity in my book. Um, and so basically what that means is that you need to do a high volume of it in a, wor- a tempo workout in order to get adaptations. Like you can't do, I don't know, like for example, a VO2 max, hopefully, hopefully this is, this is somewhat obvious to the people listening, but like, for example, a VO2 max workout, you might do five by five minutes, five by five minutes is not an effective tempo workout because that's so little volume of tempo. So how much volume of tempo you can handle is going to vary based on the person and based on how well-trained you are, but we're probably shooting for, you know, an hour at the low end and then for very, you know, uh, highly trained athletes, like it could be two hours, it could be three hours of tempo in a single workout. Yeah. But if you're just getting started, if you're coming, you know, if you're just starting, I would say start with three by 10, start with three by 15 and then build your way up from there. Yeah. When I think of tempo, I think of this, it's, it sounds like a cool term, but it's really basic. I think of the word or two words, muscular endurance, uh, which is basically just means you can do it for a long time. Like you're going hard, but you can also just do it for a long time. And tempo and maybe threshold are the only two intensity zones where you can actually do muscular endurance, where you do it for a long time. Once you get yeah, over your FTP, it's just like short. So you can't say that that's muscular endurance because it's too short. Yeah, that's so good because it's kind of like comparing it to um, strength training because you're going to strength train when you get when you get started, you're going to be focused on muscular endurance. In other words, you're going to do high, high reps and low weight and tempo is similar for your aerobic system. Yeah, that's where, that's the first time I heard the word muscular endurance was I was doing this workout and the, at the, at Marion university, the strength trainer, like I did a warm up, and then he pointed to the 25 pound dumbbells and he said, those bad boys are going to be your best friend for the next hour. 
and he had me doing lunges. I, and I was just walking in circles around the gym for an hour. And I think Seems I did the like math. It's too much. That's yeah, it was terrible. definitely too much. I couldn't walk the next day. And I asked him after the workout, like, what the heck was the point of that? And he just said two words muscular endurance and i was convinced i was like oh my gosh this guy all right well also that's also kind of sounds like he didn't know what he was talking about if he had you walk around the gym for an hour with 25 pound dumbbells no no no, no, not walk sorry lunge walk okay walks i was doing lunges like even worse man I like thought it was awesome. You're a, dude, you're a beginner I think about, in the gym and you need to do an hour of lunges. No, 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 no. I had been in the gym for like a, that was like sophomore year. I had been in the gym for like a year and he knew me and I'm not saying everybody should go do an hour's worth of lunge walks throughout their gym. I'm just making the point that I did it for an hour and I could do it for an hour because of it was low weight and it was sure. high rep. So it's kind of an analogy for tempo. Yeah, no, tempo, tempo is the low weight, high rep, uh, you know, if we're making an analogy, if you're, we're making an analogy to gym work, it's low weight high rep is exactly That's what, what I just is. said. Yeah, I know. I'm reiterating your point. Okay, good job. I also don't think you should do an hour of lunges in the gym if you're a gym new. Yeah, I, I agree. It was <laughs> awesome, regardless. Yeah, and you so- probably shouldn't start with a full hour of tempo. You should break it up in intervals. Yeah, yeah, Dylan. You shouldn't just do an hour of tempo. <laughs> It's too much. So, man. so another way that I like to use tempo, um, so like kind of getting out of the base season and, and looking more towards like race specific type efforts, um, is like say we're 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 doing like a VO two max phase or something building up towards a race. And like this is like this is where it sort of depends on the type of race we're doing. But um, if you're doing any kind of race where where there's going to be like potential for high intensity and then settling in at like a high work capacity, like tempo. Um, I'll do those kind of efforts either like starting with three minutes at VO two max settling into 10 or 15 minutes at tempo or over unders, you know, where you're kind of like, you know, hitting that VO two max or above and then dropping down into tempo. Like some people with, with, with over unders will just stick in like threshold. Like they'll do, you know, one Oh five down to 95 and kind of staying right around hovering around the threshold. Um, you know, but, but, depending on the type of race, like I'll have someone do, you know, VO two max for the overs and then drop down a tempo, you know, and then do that for, you know, three or four sets, um, within an interval. So like, that's how I'll kind of use tempo in like the lead up to, to events. Like most of the time I'm not going to just use tempo. It's going to be mixed with some other kind of intensity just to kind of help increase that work capacity before a race. Yeah, I do. In my base season, I did two blocks of tempo, one just straight tempo, so everything is just at tempo. It's very boring, monotonous, but I'm increasing time and tempo over three weeks. So I may start with one hour, but by that, and then to the, at the end of those three weeks, I'm trying to hit over two hours of tempo in one workout. Uh, and then and then I'll do a block of what Adam just said, where I'll, I'll start to mix in some sprints. I'll start to mix in some VO2, but the bulk of my time and zone is still in tempo. I'm just kind of sprinkling in some VO2 and sprinkling in some sprints. And then after that, I'll go on with the the rest of my training, like threshold VO2. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just add a 20-minute tempo to the end of my workout. A lot of times, you know, if if a lot of people just don't have the time to do that, so all they have time to do is to do their threshold, and then they're done with their workout or VO2, and then they're done with their workout. But if you have the time, that's a good way to just maintain that muscular endurance throughout the year is to just tack on a 20-minute tempo at the end of all of your workouts. Only on the intensity days. Don't do 20 minutes of tempo every single day. But 
after you do your intensity sessions, you could always just throw on a 20 minute tempo. And I, a coach that I had did that for every one of my workouts when I was a junior and I got really fit really quick. And I think that was a big part of it. It's just doing 20 minute tempo after every workout. And another little thing that I've noticed too, with that 20 minute tempo is after you do a workout and then you do 20 minutes of tempo, the RPE goes up. So I think there's something there too. Like you're holding tempo, but it feels really hard because of the fatigue in your legs. And there's something to be said about training when you're fatigued that I think is beneficial. Yeah. I agree. Okay, last question here, and this one comes from a female listener, Claire. So this one, so she says, you all talk a lot about maximum maximizing volume for an athlete uh, who doesn't have regular job or other responsibilities, um, but you also talk about structuring training for time-crunched athletes. So what do you consider to be an I- ideal training volume for someone who has a job uh, but otherwise has some flexibility. Where do you draw the line between volume and potentially sacrificing sleep? And how do you zero in on the ad- ideal volume range for each of your athletes? Thanks, Claire. Oh, don't sacrifice sleep. Uh, <laughs> 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 I knew Kayla was going to say that, and I'm over here thinking, I don't know, should you? <laughs> like questioning it. I Yeah, you should not be sacrificing sleep. You shouldn't have to either. I mean, if you're, yeah. I don't know. If you're riding that late at night, it's probably not good anyways. Well, also, sometimes when people ride a lot, their sleep quality uh, goes down. Like I have an athlete that when they get super fatigued, they just start sleeping worse. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not always that you don't have enough time to sleep. It's that you're so tired from training that you can't sleep well. Mm. I don't don't know which she's referring to here, but... I wonder if she's asking like where is the line between a time crunched athlete and then just doing being able to do like a a ton of volume like yeah well it's not really i mean it's not really a line it's kind of a gray area but i think i think that you know what she's sort of getting at is as what is you know what's the optimal volume which is a super common question i actually made a whole video about it like what's the optimal volume and I, i remember my conclusion from that video was that the optimal volume. So first of all, the optimal volume varies from person to person. There's not one optimal volume that's going to fit everyone. Hopefully that's obvious. Um, but also even on an individual level, the optimal volume is going to change based on the time of year and what your goals are and what you're training for. And the, so how it changes over, over the course of a year is, is if, intensity the the more important intensity is in your training the lower your volume has to be to make way for that intensity um so putting that into a typical periodization you would probably do higher volume in the base period when intensity is less important and lower volume in the build period when intensity is more important although that's not always the case sometimes you're training for unbound or a race that's even longer than unbound and volume is very important for the race that you're training for so you're you might want to sacrifice some of your intensity in order to maintain that high volume even in the build period going into the race so doing more volume is at the cost of having really high quality intensity so you kind of need to balance those two uh, how important is doing super high quality intensity and how important is having a high volume for what you're training for and for your, you know, the fitness level that you're at. But I want to give her just a hard answer and say, if 
you're working full time and without sacking, sacrificing sleep, if you can get 10 to 12 hours, you're going to get some really good training in. We can structure that really well. And you should also call me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I do think it's like relative to what she's been doing. I mean, if she... For sure. You know, we... I, 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 we don't have enough information on this athlete to like, maybe she's been doing 15 hours per week regularly and she's wanting, wondering if she should go up to 20. Um, like it's, it's also, it's also very much relative to your training history. What volume have you been able to maintain in the past? And then in the recent past, have you been maintained? So for example, I would, I would always, I would always build volume slowly over time, as opposed to going from, I don't know, five hours a week to 15 hours a week. That's way too drastic a jump. And you're probably going to feel overtrained. But if you want, if your goal is to get to 15 hours per week, but you're at five hours per week right now, you know, do five hours a week then do seven hours a week then you know, then do nine and gradually build your way up to that, to that volume. <laughs> don't just don't just throw in a bunch of volume all at once. Yeah. So where where would you guys like if you had to, to put a line like where would you say the line is for like being time crunched versus like being you know fully uh, trainable athlete? And, and it might be like you know if you're if you're below this number and then you're above this other number, and then there is like a little bit of a gray area. I think like, like around, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean around I, eight eight hours. I don't. If I don't really want to put a line. Yeah. Here you well, go, I Drew. Did, I just did. I said eight hours. <laughs> if I think of less than eight hours, I'm like, man, that's not that much time. But when I think of 10 hours, I'm like, that's a pretty good amount of time. Yeah, but think, get a lot think about, think about like the average person, right? I mean, like that's an, that's over an hour of working out a day on average. Yeah. Yeah, but if it's, they do see a the th- four-hour ride on Sunday, that's half of it right there. Dude, how many people can do four hours of like everybody should be doing four hours? Everybody should be doing a four-hour ride on Sundays. <laughs> so here, here's what I'm getting Sundays at off. with: I don't want to put a line on it, is because it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. To somebody who's been doing, you know, to somebody who rides an an hour a day five times a week, that's five hours. To Adam's point, doing a four-hour ride on one day is like mind-blowing. That's a nine-hour training week. There we go. That's what I'm talking well, but, about. But it's like that four-hour ride would also probably just blow that person out of the water for the next week, and they couldn't even hit you know nine hours the next week. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's all like it's all relative to what you've been doing. Yeah. You know so I mean, mean, I mean, the reason that I think it's it's okay and and somewhat important to kind of have. S- at least some line or, or guideline for like time crunch versus, you know, fully capable athlete is because if you're like, say like I would put it at more like probably, I mean, eight hours isn't bad, but I would maybe say even like six hours. Like if you're six hours or less going back to what Dylan, you were talking about where like during those higher intensity phases, you're going to drop your volume. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're only training six hours a week, like I probably wouldn't drop your vo- volume. Like maybe just drop your volume in the taper leading up to the event. So you've got some freshness, yeah. but like you can't really afford to like lose that aerobic, um, you know, capacity fitness that you're getting from those extra couple hours a week. Um, and that's why I was, I was kind of getting at like, I think like the, t- the true time crunched athlete, like they do have to structure their workouts and their training, uh, quite a bit different than someone who can train 10, yeah. 12, 20 hours a week. I think that so I think that was good clarification because if the if the question is 
at what volume do you need to start thinking about manipulating volume based on the season? So for Mm -hmm. example, like this is a high volume time. This is a low volume time. I, I completely agree. If you're at six hours, you, I wouldn't manipulate your volume at all. I would do the most volume you can every single week. And if that's six hours, I, I wouldn't do three hours and bump up the intensity. I would just bump up the intensity with the six hours you have. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Probably around the, probably around the 10 hour mark is where you can start manipulating volume and say, this is a high volume week. This is a low volume week. Yeah. There is, and this is going to sound very old school, but I think it's kind of, there's some truth to it as well. There is a direct correlation to, or a very strong correlation to total training volume and like fast, like speed or like fitness. I mean, like as, as volume goes up, fitness goes up. And obviously it's not just black and white, increase fitness, increase fit, like increase volume, increase fitness. But if you were to take a, like do a study and, or just take a census on a hundred riders out of those hundred riders or a thousand riders or whatever, the ones that are the fastest and the fittest are going to be probably the ones with the highest amount of volume. Right. And that's old school, but like it's old school. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's old school. I mean, it's just, it, it's yeah, they're highly correlated. The number of hours, the number of hours per week. Now they're not perfectly correlated. It's not like the person who's riding the most is going to win the race. Yeah. Right. Right. But yeah, no, the generally the trend is the more you ride the, the faster you're going to be. And I, and I do hope that people, you know, I, I, this has come up a number of times on this podcast where it's like, Oh man, I'm at a plateau and I'm at 10 hours per week. Like what can I do? And it's like, you know, we can try to do these little tricks to get the squeeze the most out of that 10 hours per week. But if you can manage it, what would be better than those tricks to try to squeeze everything you can out of 10 hours per week would be bumping up to 12 hours per week. You know what I mean? And, and that, and that trick of just adding a little bit more volume, it being, being, you know, probably what you need to make it past the plateau works up to the point that you're at, like, uh, you know, you're getting close to your volume ceiling, like the volume. And, and, and I don't want to put a number on this because they're, they're the, the range of what people can recover from volume wise varies, but you know, if you, if you're not at the point where you feel like you're riding so much that, that you feel like you, you know, recovery is starting to become an issue with how much you're riding, then, you know, (laughs) people are trying to, people are trying to come up with the best way to squeeze the most fitness out of this limited time when, if they just had a, and, and I get that I'm coming from, I'm coming from a person who's got all the time in the world to train and I can train as much as I want whenever I want. So, you know, maybe people are like, you know, Dylan, you don't, you have no idea what it's like to have, have three kids in a 50 hour per, you know, per week job. I, I get it. But like, if you can just throw in a little bit more hours is what I'm saying. That is what's going to get you over the hump. I get it, but I don't care. Add two hours. <laughs> well, this is this is like one well, of those. And things we even where, talked about this. We we talked about this either last episode or a couple episodes ago. But like, if two hours is too daunting to start with, like start with thirty minutes. Find mm-hmm. find thirty minutes each week for a month that you can add in. Right. That's two hours over the course of a month. You know, try that, and then add another yeah. thirty minutes. 
You know, like, because sometimes it's like mm-hmm. so, the way people think about it is like, oh, I've got to find an extra two hour time slot that I need to like throw another ride into. But it's like, just add 10 minutes onto each of your rides. And then th- before you know mm-hmm. it, that's an hour. Yeah. More, I, I, I want to make this clear. More volume is not always the answer, particularly if you are close to your volume ceiling and that volume ceiling can vary. But if you're not close to there, more volume is usually the answer. Hmm. What's your volume ceiling? Um, I mean, it's probably in the 25 to 30 hour per week range. Once you hit 25 to 30 hours, you're like, you can feel it just a lot. Yeah, it depends on how much intensity I've been doing, right? Is that like, on- like one week or is that sustained weeks at 25 to 30? So if I'm doing a three week block, I mean, three weeks of 25 hour weeks is going to get me really cooked and probably one week of 30 hours per week is going to get me really cooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you should probably just try to do 27 every week. If you just add two more hours, Dylan, I really well, think so, that so that this is So this is, what I'm, this, is, this is what I'm saying when I said that when I said volume is more volume is not always the answer. I know, so I know. For, um, for a for a rider doing that kind of volume, more volume it might not be the answer and it probably is not the answer, but for a rider doing 10 hours per week, I mean, you know, there, there are people that can only handle 10 hours per week, especially as you get older and, and, and everything you can't recover as quickly, but more than likely if somebody's doing 10 hours per week and they, they want to get fitter, 12. if they could do 12, that would be probably the, and, and keep in mind, hopefully this person is already checking all the boxes of what appropriate training should look like. They're like, they're doing two intensity days per week. Those intensity days are properly structured and they've got proper periodization in their plan and all of this. They checked all those boxes and they're still stuck at this fitness level with 10 hours per week. I, I think that the best thing that they could do is find another two hours or like Adam said, if they, even if they can find an extra 30 minutes. Yeah, what Adam said is really smart. I literally read that in a book this week where it was talking about, uh, it was talking about saving money. And a lot of times, like saving money, people are like, oh, yeah, just save 10% of your paycheck. And some people are like, I can't survive if I just cut out 10% of my paycheck. So so this book was saying, we'll start with 1%. And it's really easy to adjust. Oh, yeah, 1%. I could, I could, like, I could learn how to live off of 99% of the money that I make this month. And after you do that, do 2% and 3%. And then eventually you'll get... And when you do small steps like that, it's not as noticeable. So you get, you adjust slowly instead of just pop like 10% or adding two hours all at once. It's, you know, for an analogy, there you go. I like analogies. Yep. That's good. And also now I feel bad and I have, I should clarify. So if you are only doing like five to six hours a week, yeah. Don't, Still call don't, Caitlin. Don't, well, yeah, you should definitely look into coaching, but don't jump to 10 hours and don't feel like when you get to, if you're trying to then Im- increase your volume, you still need a rest week every, you know, every three weeks or so. So still drop back that volume. Like don't go from five hours to three weeks of seven hours and think that you know, on your rest week, you haven't been doing anything anyway. So I'm going to do a fourth week at seven hours. No, this is new and different than normal and a lot more than normal. So you still need to have an adequate rest week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point too, is, you know, and that goes with what Dylan was saying with having a proper training structure and periodization. But like, there are some time crunched athletes who just believe because they aren't training enough that they don't, they don't need that 
periodized recovery week, but like mm-hmm. that could be a telltale sign of like someone who's reached their, their plateau as well as like, are you, are you giving your body enough rest so that you can capitalize on those higher intensity workouts? Um, so that's like something to keep, keep an eye out for too, no matter what training volume you're, you're training at. Sweet. All right. I think we'll wrap it there. Boom. Thanks guys. We'll catch you next week. Yep. See ya. Maybe not Drew, because he's got such a high FTP now, we'll never catch him. Yeah, yeah, you guys are. I'm, I'm out of here, man. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go. never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand. 
And it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co. Developing coaches, connecting athletes.